thank Pastor Pete for allowing me to preach this Sunday because it gave me something to do in preparing a message <laughs> for today and next week. So I, I, I'll bring you a two-part sermon entitled Living in and Leaving Exile. I kind of feel like I've been in exile. How about you? Because we are experiencing difficult times. We're experiencing stressful times, not-so-ordinary times, and we need a word from heaven, just as I need a word from heaven. And I think maybe the prophet Isaiah has a word from heaven for us today and next week. As I've been reading through, and I'd like to acknowledge uh, three primary influences on this sermon. I, I listen, I have a, an online app called Daily Audio Bible, D-A-B, and it's put out by Brian Harden, and he has gone through the Bible now for, I think, 13 years. And uh, he reads scripture and then makes brief commentary on it, and he tries to use a different translation every, uh, every week, so he gives you broad exposure. So uh, we've been going through the Old Testament and looking at those prophets who spoke a word to Israel before the exile and during the exile and, and after the exile of God's period. So I'm, I'm right in the middle of that with Brian. And also a couple of theologians, pastors primarily, Brian Zahn and Sam Barber, a couple pastors who have ministered to me online during this, this week. So uh, as I've been reading through, through the Old Testament with, with Brian uh, Harden, and I, I've been experiencing this sort of, of exile an exile from where we gather to worship with you and from other social engagements. And exile has certainly been on my mind. You see, Isaiah 55 is a poem that comes from the time of exile for the people of God. It's a, it's a prophetic poem written to the exiles who are about ready to their homeland. They've been in exile in Babylon. For about 50 years, give, give or take a few years, because several waves of deportation, so they're all returning. And so now King Cyrus comes along and says, okay, you can go home. And so they're going home to a, many of them to a place they've never been. Home. <laughs> a place where they've never been. Kind of like us Christians, right? We have a longing to go home. We've never been there, but we get a taste of it here on, on on earth, uh, in, in relationship with God, in relationship with his church. And, but they, they've been in exile in Babylon now, and uh, they get to go home. So a few of the older people have some memory as children of what home's like, but most and Isaiah, by, this, by the Spirit of the Lord, is preparing them because he knows it's going to be difficult. Isaiah 55.1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts. Hey! Everyone that's thirsty, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Home in Israel is very different from what they've known in Babylon. Now, I've been to Mexico, and having been there, street vendors will try to sell their wares, and having strolled through malls where kiosks are in the quarters of the mall, and uh, salespeople approach you trying to sell their products. You know what I'm talking about. You know, when you, get, when you go past them, here's the way I go past them. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't want them to get my attention because, man, once they, once they get you, man, they got you. you you're going to stand there for 10, 15, 20 minutes until you can somehow figure out how to escape. Uh, 
That's how I, I picture Isaiah here. That's the picture I get. Hey, you thirsty? Come buy wine. I've got some wine. I've got milk. I've got milk and wine for sale. Come, come here, come here. And these are symbols for the people of God. These are symbols of abundance and the good life. But in Babylon, who among the Jews can afford wine and milk? Remember, they are the refugees. They are the exiles. They are the cheap labor. They are the slave labor for the empire. They are the permanent underclass for that society. And wine and milk represents the good life of Babylon that that they cannot access access as those kind of people. Now, now the, the good thing is Isaiah does not represent some Babylonian street vendor out there selling milk and wine. It's Yahweh himself, God himself, who is speaking to his people through Isaiah. The God of Israel says, come, buy buy milk and wine. Come buy milk. Come come on, I have some for you. And you say, well, I can't afford it. He says, it doesn't matter if you can't afford it. It's free. Free? What do you mean free? Yes, free. Free. All you have to do is just want it and, and ask for it, and it's yours. So that's the, that's the picture, at least, I get in my mind as, as uh, I see the God of Israel saying, Hey, hey, come here. Are you thirsty? Ho, oh, do, you, do you need something? Do you, do you want some wine? Do you, do you want some milk? Come by. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. Now, that's the prophet's way of saying home with the God of Israel is going to be very different than anything they've known in Babylon. Things are going to change a whole lot for them because uh, they're not going to be in the kingdom of Babylon, but they're going to be home in the kingdom of Yahweh. Things are a whole lot different in the kingdom of God than they are in the kingdom of Babylon. Let's pick up that that prophetic poem there in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, the Babylons of this earth, Babylon, the empire, insists that their way is the only way. Earthly kingdoms insist that the, that the way they do it is the only way. We are the wise. We, we are the knowledgeable ones, and, and we do it the best It's an empire where imagination is not allowed because Babylon is full of pretense. And Babylon pretends to know everything. And Babylon pretends it can meet your heart. They pretend they're the best, that they're number one, that they are the king of all the earthly kings and kingdoms. Now, these Jewish people have heritage. They, They have their heritage. They have their scriptures but as far as living, all they have known is Babylon. God is telling them, you've, you've seen Babylon, but I operate on a whole different level. Yeah, you say, is Babylon here and the, the kingdom of God at this level? No, <laughs> no, no. Nor at this level, nor at this level. Because he says, Yahweh says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. How different are God's ways? As high as the heavens are above the earth. 
Now, how high is that? How far are the heavens above the earth? You can go for billions of light years, billions of light years and never run out of it. That's how far God's thoughts and ways are above our thoughts and ways. You see, in Babylon, on this earth, everything is based on consumerism and power and prestige. Everything is about the consumer and you have to be greedy. You have to work, work, work so you can make more, more, more so you can keep up with the Babylonian Joneses. <laughs> then you have to have an army that protects it all. And so it's about consumerism and Wall Street. And God says, I don't even think that way. My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're, they're so much higher than yours a billion a billion dollar bomber makes no sense it makes a lot of sense in Babylon but it makes no sense in Yahweh's kingdom that's why he starts off getting their attention wine and milk for sale how much is it it's free it's what way yeah it's free all you have to do is want it and ask for it that's the way Yahweh operates they're going home but it's, it's going to be different Look at verse 10. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Because my ways are higher than your ways. Because my purpose is beyond your imagination. You're never going to be able to figure it out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my word to you. Up here, I've got my word. I have my intentions, my purpose, my my logos. And I'll send it like rain and snow. And it's going to come from heaven all the way down to your level. You can never climb up here. You can never understand. You can never get in, but I'm going to send it to you. And, and when my word comes down from heaven to be among you, it is going to bring forth fruit. It's going to bring forth goodness out of the earth. It's going to bring forth the things that you really desire. The things Babylon, the world you're living in now, promises but just can't deliver. And God says it will succeed my word will succeed I'm going to send my word then my word's going to come back and say you think my word's going to come back sorry (laughs) sorry it it didn't work out (laughs) no (laughs) he says I will send my word down because you could never reach it you could never understand what I'm trying to do my word will not come back empty handed it will succeed in the purpose for which I sent it let's so let's finish the poem verse 12 and 13 for you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace the mountains and the hills before you shall burst forth into song and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands instead of the thorn shall come up cypress instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off he says well you came You were deported from the promised land to a foreign land. You were brought into exile with anxiety and sorrow. You lost everything, and you didn't know what the future held. See, at first, they thought it was just going to be a short stint, okay? God, they'd be there a few days, maybe a week or two, a month. God was going to deliver them, but it didn't work out that way. 
But he says, you're not going home with sorrow and anxiety. You're going home with peace and joy. And then the prophet imagines the mountains and the hills are watching the exiles on this thousand mile journey back to home. And they start singing about it. They're happy that the people of God are finally going home. And then the trees notice and they say, let's, let's give them a standing ovation. Let's clap our hands. They're going home. I don't know if you ever heard that little scripture song or not. It kind of has a, a Jewish flair to it. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. They'll go out with joy and all the trees of the field will clap, will clap their heads. You know it. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands while you go out with joy. Stand up for a second. Join me. It'll wake us up. Ready? You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy and all the trees of the field will clap, will clap. And all the trees of the field clap their hands. The trees of the field clap their hands. The trees of the field clap their hands as we go out with joy. That's an old one, old scripture song. You see, the prophet said the things that cause pain and pierced you like thorns and briars are going to be replaced by pleasant things like cypress and the myrtle. Creation itself is going to celebrate what's happening. It's a beautiful picture of homecoming for the people of God. But when the, the, the exile began, and they began returning about 539 B.C., I ask the question, were they really home? Kind of. They, they were in their homeland. They were back in their land. But in their history, we see they were dominated by foreign powers. The Persian Empire. Then the Seleucid Empire. And then the Roman Empire. They, they were home, but not really home. In a very real sense, they were still in exile, so maybe the word from heaven that does not return empty but succeeds in the purpose for which God sent it. It's not a sermon from Isaiah or a passage from the Bible. Maybe it's something else. If you go back to Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so John, as he starts his gospel, he picks up on that theme in the beginning. And John says in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word, the word, the logos, the plan, the intention, the purpose. And the word was with God and the word was God. The word was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by the word. And apart from the word, nothing was made that has been made. Now you can flip over to Colossians and that whole book's about the supremacy of Christ, how everything is created by him and through him. And in the word was life and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome the word. The true light that enlightens the whole world was coming into the world and the word became flesh and lived among us. Praise God. 
And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. All of a sudden, the word becomes one of us. The word came down to our level because God's words, God's thoughts, God's plans are as high as the heavens are above the earth. We couldn't figure it out. We, we can never achieve that kind thinking. So the word comes all the way down to us. Not as a sermon, not as a text, but as a person. John three thirteen. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. So Isaiah gives us a picture of the word descending and then ascending. And we'll talk more about that illustration next week of the water cycle that he gives. He understood nature before our kids even took it in you know, sixth grade science, the water cycle of the earth. He uses that powerful illustration, but I don't want to get off track. That's, that's next week. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word from heaven. Jesus is the word of the Father. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the wisdom of God that is higher than the heavens and above the earth and in a way that we can't even know and think. But that word comes to, to us. No one has ascended into heaven in order to know the mind of God, but God sent the word. He sent his son. The word became flesh and came down to our level so he could bring it to us. I used to sing in a southern, I had a lot of songs pop, pop in my mind as I was preparing this. I used to sing in a southern gospel quartet, and we sang one of the Gaither vocal band songs. He came down to my level. He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. With a strong arm, he lifted me up. To show me what living is. He'll come down to your level if you'll open up the door. He wants to make your life worth living. That's what he came down for. If you're looking for contentment in the things that you can see, you're going to have some disappointment. So won't you listen to me, please? Because I know about a Savior. He came down to be a man. And when he left, he sent his spirit me everything I am he came down to my level perfect song for the text no one else could be the word of God now an apostle a prophet an evangelist a bible teacher a preacher we can bring a word from God but only Jesus Christ can be the word of God that's a whole lot different folks Jesus is the word from heaven that we could never reach, brought down to us as a human being. This word from heaven as salvation because plan salvation is a person. If it is a plan, it's a plan so infinitely high that we can never understand or achieve it or rise up to it. So God sends the plan, but the plan is a person. Argue all day over theology, folks. How do you argue with a person that demonstrates the love of God? The plan is the logos. It came down to us as a person, Jesus Christ. Now, the moment that that word became flesh in the virgin woman Mary, the moment the logos by the Holy Spirit is united with human flesh and the word becomes flesh. The salvation of the world is a foregone conclusion. Why? Because the word will not return empty without accomplishing that for which God sent it. God said, I'm not giving up on the world. It's my world. 
And when he created in Genesis, every stage of the way, he said, and it's good. So I'm going to save it. I've got a plan. It's my son who will be made flesh and dwell among them and bring my salvation. Now the story has to unfold. It has to play out. But it will because the word that goes forth from God will succeed in that for which it was sent. So the video we saw, we can give a good word. We can give an encouraging word. Yes, we're in a battle, but we're going to win the war. John 3, 17, indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. Boy, the hymn writer got it right. The hymn, this is my father's world. Listen to the third verse. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. If God just wanted to condemn the world, he could have done that through Moses. Moses can do that. Habakkuk can condemn the world, but that isn't what God's doing. Yes, the law came by Moses, and in the law brought condemnation, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth together came by Jesus, and of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Just returned from time at the beach with our whole family three or four weeks ago, and it's easy for me, after being there, to see this endless tide, the endless waves lapping at the sandy beach as a picture of the endless grace of God, infinitely being poured out on this old earth to save it through Jesus Christ. Back when I was dating my wife, and she's an Nazarene preacher's daughter, our church was in, in revival with Forrest McCullough. You guys heard that name, but back in the day, he was a very well-known evangelist in the church of the Nazarene. He was a good revivalist, so figure out how to get him, if you could pay a decent salary and to wait long enough you could you could get him to come for revival so my wife Sharon who who was my girlfriend then uh, was at home at the time before she found her own place and and she was telling me man this evangelist he stays awake half the night moaning and groaning and praying for the lost trying to save the world through his preaching and Sharon's father, who, who was a pastor of, that, of my home church, was so concerned about Forrest that he, he had a personal talk with him about relaxing a little bit. He said, man, do you, do you have any hobbies? Uh, you know, and he tried to encourage him to spend just a little of his time unwinding because he was so uptight. He was so wound up all the time. But dad's talk fell on, on deaf ears. Forrest was a godly man who, who didn't know how to unwind and relax for his own spiritual and emotional well-being. And I don't know what the timeline was, but I don't think it was too long after that that we received word that Forrest had taken his life with a shotgun blast. If only he could have realized he didn't to save the whole world if only he would have realized he didn't have to carry the weight of the whole world on his shoulders if only he would have realized that it's Jesus job to save the world 
I think I've read that somewhere. Jesus is the Savior. Now, I think he says to each one of us, I need your help, so if you'd like to help me, let me know. Right? If, if you want to partner with me in saving the world, let me know. If I can assist you, and we should say, well, if I can assist you with my abilities and talents and spiritual gifts you've given me, well, let me know, God, and I guarantee you God will let you know. But in my mind, that, that little shift in thinking can change your life. We don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. Jesus did that. All we have to do is cooperate with him. Henry Blackaby uh, wrote a book talking about that very thing, and I forget the name of it. It's been several years, but the whole premise of that was find out where You know what it is? I thought maybe you knew the title. Experiencing God. Thank you. I saw him whisper to his wife the title of the book, and so, yeah, Experiencing God. And the whole premise was, you know, we want to do our own thing and then ask God to bless it. But he says, man, what would revolutionize the church is if we find out where God's working in people's lives, in our community, in the world, and join God, how much more productive we'd be. Just that little shift in, in thinking. So when I begin to feel pessimistic about the way things are in, in the world, and we've all had that opportunity, I'm sure, since March, I remind myself that the world will be saved because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved and that the world will be saved because Jesus is the savior of the world. And God says, this is my world. <laughs> it's a good world. I created a good world. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to make all things new. Go to Revelation. <laughs> Beautiful picture there. Romans 8, 21 even tells us, Paul says, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Jesus remind, John reminds, reminds us if we want to be a part of the salvation, the redemption of this whole cosmos, if we want to be a part of, of what God is doing, then John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why don't you let the story of your life intersect with the story of God? You see, that salvation is not just about me. It's about the whole cosmos, the whole world. <laughs> and we become a part of that when we decide to invite God into our lives. We become a, a part of his redemption story for the world. And then part B of that salvation is not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. This part B. We know that true love Looks like, what it looks like because of Jesus. He gave his life for us. God, he just got finished telling us in 3.16. God, God gave his son that we could have life. Romans says God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're sinners, he sent his son, Christ Jesus, to save us. And then we're reminded part B of that is we know what true love looks like because of Jesus. He gave his life for us, and he calls us to give our lives for our brothers and sisters. He calls us to love people to life. Have you heard that somewhere? Just because God through Christ is redeeming the whole world for those who claim Jesus as Savior and Lord, it is not an excuse for apathy or inactivity on our part. Rather, it's an invitation, right, for each of us 
to join the Savior of the world in what he is doing. Now, the pressure is not on us. As we ask, how can I help? I guarantee he'll tap you on the shoulder and say, here's where I'm working. Here is where I want you to join me in saving the world. Here is where you can help bring a little bit of heaven to earth. Here is where you can not only pray the Lord's Prayer, but live out the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer, the people of God. Jesus is the one who ends the exile. Praise God. Because of the influence of a godly grandmother and mom who demonstrated to me what Jesus' love looked like about an altar at the age of eight in revival by John Knight. And even at that young age, I realized that the things of Babylon could not satisfy. And I was brought up, man, you, you went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, every revival service. That's back when revivals lasted 10 days. I wasn't allowed to participate in a lot of things, especially if it interfered with church on Wednesday night. I wanted to do drama and acting at school, wanted to get involved in music. Couldn't. I can't do that. But anyway, I realized Babylon didn't satisfy and came to Christ. Jesus, I realize, was the one that ends that exile because Babylon promises things it can't deliver on. It's a con. Don't believe all those commercials that say, if you have this, you'll be happy. If you buy this, you'll be fulfilled. If you do this, you'll really be living. No, it's all con game. Jesus is the one that satisfies. Don't get me wrong. I love the, I love the beauty of God's creation. I love the gifts he gives me. I love all those all that stuff that makes life easier. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't become our idol. As long as it's not our God. As long as we use it for him. Dedicate your home to him. To use for kingdom purposes. Dedicate your cars to him to use for kingdom purposes. Dedicate your money. Your talents to use for kingdom purposes purposes there is nothing like it Jesus is the one who ends the exile not the Torah not Moses not Isaiah not me but Jesus Jesus is the one that takes us home now let's go all the way to the end let's go to Revelation twenty-two, sixteen, and 17 it's I Jesus who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the church and the descendant of David the bright morning star the spirit and the bride's Come and let everyone who hears say, Come. Let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. So now we're going all, all the way back where we begin, right? All the way back to the beginning, Isaiah 55. Are you thirsty? Come on. We have what it is you actually thirst for and long for. It's free. Are you tired of Babylon? The world in which you live, which is antithetical to the kingdom of God. Babylon is full of it. <laughs> Babylon makes all these promises that it can't deliver. Babylon is a con. It's arranged for a few at the top. And even a few at the top don't seem to be thriving. Their souls are withering. Are you tired of the high cost of living in Babylon? Because Babylon can take a toll on your soul. So the Holy Spirit and the bride... The church, that's us, folks. The Holy Spirit and the bride 
That's us. Say, are you thirsty? Come on. We've got wine. We've got milk. We've got living water. How much is it? Well, Jesus paid it all. It's free. Just decide you, you want it. Ask for it. Respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Just come to him. Just come and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me during this time. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, I'm dying here. Jesus, I want out of this rat race. I'm not a rat. I would desire to be, I would desire to be a child of God. Take me home to be with you, Jesus. Now, I don't mean die. That doesn't take me home. I mean come home to the Father's house. Come home to the Father's house because he has room for you. He has prepared a place for you. Come. Come, the spirit and the bride, this church, the people who have already tasted the milk and the wine and the living water say come. I'm part of the bride. Are you part of the bride? I'm part of the bride today, and I say come to the Father's house. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And we come to the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now for the privilege of, your, of delivering your word or a word from you, Lord, and talking about the word. So I pray, Lord, for people who haven't made that decision to come to you. Maybe someone's here this, this morning in the sanctuary. Maybe someone is going to watch online later on or right now. Lord, I pray that they, they don't try to figure it out because above the earth that's how high your thoughts are above our thoughts lord may you encourage them not to try and figure it out but to trust lord there's lots of things that's happened in my life through the years i tried to figure it out and finally at the end after the journey of trying to figure it out i was left with i just need to trust i need to trust you god as the loving heavenly father that you are those things i can't understand those losses that I've experienced. It make no sense. Lord, I can trust you because you are good. Lord, help us not to try and figure out the problems of the world. We're going to trust Jesus. Jesus, because you're the savior of the world, and I want you as the savior of my soul. And I put the world and my cares and my life and my soul in your hands, Jesus, because you do the saving. And Lord, as you do the saving, I'll cooperate as I can and as you empower me to partner with you in, in what you're doing in our world. Lord, take me out of Babylon. Take me to the Father's house where the milk is free and the wine is free and the living water is free where you prepared a place for me. And Lord, as you answer my prayer to take me out of Babylon, if I join you in the journey, you promise, you promise that as I join you, you'll begin the process of taking Babylon out of me. Lord, as I cooperate with you, will you make me more and more like your son every day? Lord, would you help us during this difficult time? Lord, would you forgiveness when our personal response, would you forgive us, Lord, those times when our personal responses to people around us, whether it was in person or online or on Facebook or email, whatever it was, Lord, when our response was not Christ-like. Lord, would you forgive me for when it was more important that I be right than it was to be like Jesus. Now I'm thankful we can express our opinions, Lord, but may we always do it with the spirit of Christ and humility. Lord, you said that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion, and so we trust you with that. 
I just wonder before I end this morning, is there anyone that wants to respond, that wants to pray? Not necessarily. I mean, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't, if you haven't met the Logos, the living word that God sent to this earth to help us know about him, to ultimately reveal him, his exact image, the representation of God. You want to do that? Of course the altar is open. You can pray. Perhaps this has just been a tough week, Lord, <laughs> for you, and you just say, I just, need, I just need a touch from you, God. I need your healing. I need your encouragement. Anybody like that, just, just put your hand up. You don't have to come forward, and we'll just pray for you. I won't call you out. Thank you. Thank you. We've all been there. We've all been there. Might as well be honest. We've all been there. We may be there, and we'll be there perhaps before it's over. <laughs> Father, I pray for those who held their hands up. It's easy to be discouraged when the load increases upon us. When, because we love you and we express your love to others, we take on more responsibility, perhaps for those neighbors next door that have children who can't find uh, child care and lead a step right in and help take up the slack. For that person in our neighborhood that's struggling with food and you've blessed us and supplied our needs so we share out of abundance with them. Lord, even your people that have prayed the prayer, where can I join you, Lord? There's so many ways to join you in these days. Just a word of encouragement, a smile, a little bit of money, maybe a lot of our time to help folks. But in the midst of that, it's just easy to get drained and to become discouraged and say, how long, O oh Lord, like the Babylonian, like the Hebrew children did in, in Babylon, how long, Lord, how long? But deliverance will come. Reward will come. And we're reminded that happiness is not necessarily the goal of your children, but holiness is and loving others like Jesus is your design for us. And it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard, Lord. So renew us and refresh us this morning. And Lord, would you fill us once again with your spirit? As the children of God prayed in Acts over and over and over again. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us, God, with your spirit. Would you do that? We offer ourselves to you, Lord. We're like buckets. We got holes in us and we leak out the water and we just need to be continually filled by your spirit. Come. Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come in thine own gentle way. Let's stand and sing it once again. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come. In thine own gentle way. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer. 
Lord, it's in our weakness that you're made strong, that we're made strong in you. Lord, it's when we give you our little, little as much when, God, you're in it. It's when we give that little bit that we have to offer that your Holy Spirit takes and exponentially magnifies it and causes good to come from it because we just offered a little and you took it and made much. May that be the case this week, Lord, as we go from this place. We love you. Now, to him, to him who's able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, be glory now and forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you.